So ever since, ever since I, I surrendered my life to the Lord, the Lord shows me things in pictures. It's just been something that I've always had from the beginning. And I remember the first time the Lord started showing me how the gift worked. And I would not just... <laughs> I would feel a heat and I would see a fire. It would flash inside of me. Look at the person next to you say, you have eyes in your heart. The screen of your imagination is the eyes of your heart. Look at the person next to you say, the eyes of the heart is the screen of your imagination. And is your screen pure so that God can play his movies on your screen? Or is the devil using your screen to show you all the destruction he has for your life? And the person next to you say, you're going to get squeaky clean on the inside today. Squeak, squeak. That's squeegee. We're going to go for it. And so I would see, I would see a flash of light in my, in my belly with, the, with my spiritual eyes, with my screen of my imagination. And I would feel fire. I would tangibly feel heat. It would go up my throat like heartburn. But this is in the spirit. And then it would flash a picture in my mind and I would instantly know things that I've never known before. And that's how the Lord works with me. I see everything in pictures and I know things by the spirit. It's the messages that I preach. It's completely how I operate. I don't operate any other way. I see it. I know it's the presence. I know it's the Lord. And I write it down, I declare it, start believing it, and we start running after it. This is how I put my messages together. It's how I do everything. I don't do it unless I, I hear him say it. I don't do it unless I see him doing it. I cannot tell you anything unless the Lord reveals it to me. And I was actually struggling this morning because I was sitting in my office when the music started. I was like, Lord, you haven't, told, you haven't confirmed what I need to share with your people. I have lots of ideas. I can open the Bible to anywhere and just make up stuff. Preach. I can do it. I've been doing it 24 years. But I don't want to just get up here and share what I want to say. I want to tell you what the Lord has to say. Can I get an amen? And so the Lord just started unlocking the stuff and it all came together like at exactly 10 a.m. this morning or 11 a.m. I'm like, okay. And then I started looking for victory scriptures and my wife got up here and shared the one I was going to share. <clears throat> so I said, okay, Lord, we're on target now. Confirmation. And then while we were doing praise, I know you can, I saw the hand of the Lord come in here and rip stuff off people. It was pretty violent actually. Look at the person next to you and say, the Lord is about to rip some stuff out of your life. It's going to rip and hut. It was violent. And then the anointing came on me and I just started crying in the middle of praise. Everybody's like, yeah, I know you can. And I'm just standing there crying. And then my, my wife asked me some random question and I was like, huh? What? <laughs> now, I, but my eyes were flooded, like I'm doing this and I got tears and everything. 
And so we're live streaming heaven straight into this place. The very thing the Lord says to me, my wife's talking about, the songs we're singing, everything. Not because we had a meeting and we came up with a brilliant plan on how to do this this morning. Everyone is tapping into the Holy Ghost. Everyone's praying, seeking the Lord. And the Holy Spirit leads and guides each and every one of us. And because we're in unity with the Spirit, everything works together. Are you with me? That's why we're a Holy Ghost group of people. And we have to have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us because that's what unifies us. The same Spirit. If we have the same Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the one that raised Christ from the dead, then we're in unity. But if you got some other spirit, some juju spirit, some familiar spirit, something that sounds like God, but it's a lion spirit. You think you're hearing the Lord, but you're deceived. And the Lord's going to rip some stuff today. So I'm excited about it. Go ahead, Jesus. Let the ripping begin. And so the Lord gave me four pictures for this year. Say four pictures. <clears throat> the first picture was the east wind blowing. Everybody say east wind. The east wind represented the wind that blew the Red Sea apart so that Israel could walk to the other side on dry ground. It was, it was the wind of God that made a way where there was no way. And it was that same wind that brought destruction on your enemies or their enemies. The enemy you see today, you will not see tomorrow. Look at the person next to you and tell him it doesn't matter what has been plaguing you your whole life. The enemy that has been tormenting you is about to go bye-bye. Say, hasta lasagna. See you later, alligator. The second thing that the Lord showed me was an angel on a white horse with a sword drawn, running down a path into battle. It wasn't just into any battle. It was a victorious battle. Look at the person next to you and say, you're going to win when you decide to fight. When you make a decision that you're done with the enemy tormenting you, when you make a decision that you're done living where you're at, and you realize that God has got His wind with you, that He's got His angels going before you. God says, go and face your giant. Go and face your Goliath. Because in seasons past, He came out tormenting you, shouting at you, belittling you, tearing you down. But this is a different season. This is a season where you've got some stones in your pocket. you got the Word of God. You've got the angels of God. And this battle is going to be a victorious battle. And that giant is coming down in your life. I got a praise. The fourth picture that the Lord showed me, there was a thick cloud of darkness, deep, deep darkness. And right in the center of that darkness was a portal to see into the galaxies. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to give my people the ability to see beyond the darkness in their lives, beyond the darkness that is surrounding them. And they will tap into my strategies and my wisdom, and they will bring order into the chaos. Say, I am above, I am not beneath. And so many times all we see is our circumstances, but with the eyes of faith, you're going to see through that, and you're going to see what God has for you.
Look at the person next to you and tell them the sun is always shining above the clouds. We've had some serious hurricanes come through here. It doesn't look like there's any sunshine. But above that thick, dense cloud, the sun is shining. Can I get an amen? And the sun doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. It is still there. You just got to get your eyes off the storm and get your eyes on the sun. Can I get an amen? And then the fourth picture that the Lord showed me was an almond tree blossoming. And I read the scripture to you last week because some people would say, what is an almond tree? Jeremiah 1 verses 10 through 12. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. And then the Lord said to me, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see the branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that is right. And it means that I am watching over my word to perform it. That means all the promises that God has made in his Bible are good promises. In a new covenant, these promises are true. They will work generation to generation. And if you will grab hold of the promises of God, you will see them birth and bud and spring forth in your life. Can I get an amen? That is why Pastor Selena and Mike, when they get up here to share the offering, they tell you to write down on your envelope what it is you're believing for. What is the scripture you're standing on? I'm not giving because I feel like it. I'm not giving because I'm pressured. I'm not giving because everyone else is giving. I'm giving because the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, 9, and 10. I'm giving because the Bible says in Luke 6, 38. I'm giving because the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 9, and 10. Whatever the Bible says, that's the reason I give. I give because God said to. Now your giving is on a firm foundation. Your giving is done in faith. And Hebrews 11:6 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we don't give with emotion. Although sometimes it's emotional because God tells you to give something bigger than you were planning. And then you sow in tears, but you reap with joy. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we're going to see the promises of God birth and break forth in your life in this season. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. In verse 1, reading out a New Living Translation. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, they do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. <clears throat> Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market unless they've immersed their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial Washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Look at the person next to you and tell them, it is good to wash your hands before you eat. It is scriptural. Your kids don't want to wash their hands, just read them the Bible and tell them, Jesus said it. Do it. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? 
They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you're hypocrites. Wow. He's just asking a question. Hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands? You know, it's a tradition. You're a hypocrite. Don't tell me Jesus was sweet all the time. He just called these guys pretenders. He called them actors. Little side street performer. Little performer, you. Little hypocrite. You're such a crit. That was like Jewish slang in the day. You crit. I don't know if it was. That was just. I'm not like a son of Israel. I don't know. But we should look into it. I mean, I could be right here. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you and he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You give me lip service, but your, your heart isn't connected to me. You don't really love me. It's just, it's lip service. It's eye service. It's in my face. It's before me, but behind my back, you don't, you don't feel that way. Your hearts are far from me. Your worship is a farce. For you teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute it with your own traditions. Ay, ay, ay. So we make up our own traditions, how we think it should be done, and then teach people that they should do that. Look at the person next to you and tell them, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to know God's laws. you got to obey God's laws. And you got to teach God's laws in the face of persecution. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. And then he goes into an instance where he says, Moses gave you the law from God, honor your mother and father. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of your father or mother must be put to death. Now you want to know why parents slap their children. Right there in the Bible. Officer, it's in the Word of God. My, my son opened his ugly mouth and disrespected me in public, so I had to put something in there. And he will never, officer, speak to me that way again. These guys were like, put him to death. Now, let me tell you something. What's happening in our nation today with kids getting away with what they get away with and there is no punishment for them? It is unbiblical. It is unscriptural. And I don't care about your feelings. We are raising a generation of rebels that disobey their parents, disrespect authority, and parents side with their children saying, what are you doing to my kid? When I was growing up, if I disrespected the neighbor, the neighbor would beat me, bring me to my mother, and my mother would beat me. Fix the story. I know not to do that again. Can I get an amen? And we live in a day where our children tell our parents what to do. And parents simply just bow and obey. And I watch kids pitching fits in Walmart, screaming to high heaven because they can't get something, and to shut the child up 
they give in. So every time they go to Walmart, the kid pitches a fit because that's how they get their way. Look at the person next to you say, he's picking on you. It's going to be all right. Now, obviously, you're not supposed to beat your child to death. You can threaten them, though. You can say, I brought you into the world. I'll take you out and make another one just like you. You know what else irritates me? When parents call DCF on another parent and they've done nothing wrong. Because the parent doesn't get their way. They go and make lies and stories up and tell government officials that they are mistreating my child to try and get the child taken away because they have bitter hearts towards their spouses. People who do that should be put in prison. Because the Bible says, don't testify falsely against your brother or your sister. Don't make up lies to get people in trouble, because that's what they would do. Through the testimony of two or three witnesses, you would be killed. God says, I hate false testimony. When people lie and make up stories with the government to get people in trouble. I was praying yesterday. And I said, Lord, I want your glory. And the Lord said, do you want to be persecuted? I said, Lord, I want your glory. He said, you will be persecuted. I said, God, I don't care if they persecute me. I want your glory. Then don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry to say that we stand in a world where Christians don't have a backbone and they won't stand up for the truth. They will bow down to what the government says and what everybody else says just to keep their stuff and so they can be liked. But if I read my Bible correctly, they persecuted Jesus. They persecuted his followers. Can I get an amen? Amen. And if we're going to stand for righteousness and truth, guess what? We will face the same thing they faced. Amen? Because the devil doesn't like it when you put him in his place. And he doesn't play fair. It says when they hate you and they persecute you, don't worry about it because your reward in heaven will be great. Look at the person next to you say, stand for truth. Stand for righteousness. Preach the truth in love. Live the truth in love. And God will reward you. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Say, out of the abundance of the heart, the body acts. 
And Jesus said, it's not what you eat that defiles you. They thought that if you didn't wash your hands, then you were being defiled. And Jesus changed the rules. And he said, it's not about your hands and, and, and washing things, although it's a good practice. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus was making a point that you get defiled by the things that are in your heart. And when Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. And he said, don't you understand either? Can't you see that food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Let me read that again. God is saying every kind of food is acceptable. Through thanksgiving and prayer, we sanctify food to our bodies. Can I get an amen? So if somebody tells you don't eat meat, well, the Bible says every food is acceptable in God's sight. No, in the last days, they will say it is wrong to eat meat. The Bible says it's fine. Can I get an amen? Now, if you want to eat vegetables, that's fine. If you just want to eat veggies, that's fine. But don't make me eat veggies. If you want to be gay, that's fine. But I don't have to be. Can I get an amen? You can live how you want to live, but don't enforce your rules on me. Or my children. Yeah, I'm going to pick a fight. Because we're going to get our minds in line with what God says, not what is popular in society. And fine, throw your stones. But we will be pure. We will live according to the laws. And we will obey God. And you know what the cross is? The cross is a place that you come to die to old ways of thinking and pick up God's ways of thinking. Get rid of the deception and live in the truth. Can I get an amen? amen? Because I see families falling apart all around me, but people refuse to change their ways. I want what you have, but I'm not willing to do and pay the price to get what you have. I think I'm entitled to what you have, but I'm not willing to do the work to get it. Look at the person next to you and say, that's not reality. And then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. From within, for from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, and all these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. And what is that? That's the sinful nature. That is that sinful nature that we were born with that is on the inside of us. You see, the enemy won when he got Eve and Adam to eat that fruit. Because what happened was, everybody came under that curse. 
It's not like the devil's personally attacking you. No, you were separated from God. You came under the curse. It unlocked this wisdom on the inside of us. All we knew was life until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now people have the ability to choose if they want to be good or if they want to be evil. That's why we have wars. That's why we have abuse. That's why we have rape. That's why we have theft and robbery. Because people get to choose what they want to do. Can I get an amen? And so those things are on the inside of you in your sinful nature. And Jesus came to deliver you from that sinful nature. Look at the person next to you and say, Jesus came to set you free from the law of sin and death and to deliver you from the curse and put you above it. To put you in the blessing, to put you back into life where you're feeding from what comes out of the mouth of God. Can I get an amen? So you stand in the presence of God. You see what God has written before you in His book before the foundation of the world. You're not living here on this earthly plane. You are set high above at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus, in authority with all things under your feet. You are not tempted. You do not live in sin. You live in the glory. Can I get an amen? You are righteous and you are holy. Can I get an amen? But these things that are on the inside of you, that want to make you disobey and rebel against God, you have to take that thing down. God warned Cain before he killed his brother Abel in the book of Genesis. He said, sin is crouching at the door. You need to subdue it. And if you don't subdue it, it'll have rulership over you. And if you do not put an end to the sin in your life and say, I'm taking this thing to the cross and I'm putting a nail in it and it's going to die because God is with me. He said, the angels are going before me. He said that in this season, the east wind is blowing, that I was going to step into the promises of God. So you big, fat, ugly giant, this is the last day that I'm going to see you in my life. And those giants are in you. And you have to decide that I am done with those things telling me how to live. I'm done with that sinful nature telling me how I'm going to speak, how I'm going to react, how I'm going to think. Because the minute that you submit and obey that thing in you, the minute you step into it, condemnation comes on you immediately. Not only does condemnation come on you, but now you've sinned and the doors to the presence of God lock before you. And now you are isolated alone with the enemy condemning you, telling you, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were such a good person. Look at you. Look at you. And then you got some ugly family member confirming it. Look at you, you Christian. Mm-hmm. Some old friend confirming who you were when you were a sinner. Pulling you back into your old nature. And you've got to take a look at the things that are warring on the inside of you, that are bringing you unrest, things that are defiling you, things that are clouding your judgment, things that are, 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 are pushing you to do things that you do not want to do. And you have to make a decision that those things will not live in me any longer. I'm not going to be getting drunk anymore. I'm not going to be getting high anymore. I'm not going to be sleeping around anymore. I'm not going to be telling lies anymore. 
I'm not going to be stealing anymore. I'm not going to be jealous and have envy. I'm not going to walk around in pride. Because you know what? When you don't have security in who you are in Christ, the thing that you clothe yourself with is pride. What is pride? It's a fake glory. It is a covering to hide hide what's really going on on the inside. So you show people the watch. You show people the car. You show them your education. You show them your bank balance. You show them all these things to distract from what's really going on on the inside of you. And God wants to rip that out of you. Can I get an amen? And I wish God could just in one instant, the day you get saved, come in and just rip your soul out. And then just put a new one back in you. But the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. What does it say? Give your body to God. Say my body. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. John says, Beloved, I wish that you would be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. Look at the person next to you and say, God wants you to prosper, but it's according to your soul prospering. And if you don't understand God's way of prospering your life, then the only thing you will revert to is the world's way of prosperity. And you got to decide, do I live in the covenant or do I live by contract? Which system do you operate by? Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Jesus speaking, but I say if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in dangers of the fire of hell. I mean, Jesus wasn't playing, man. I thought I was rough today, but this is pretty rough. So Jesus says, when you get mad and angry with someone, you're committing murder in your heart. See, Jesus doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. He looks at the motive and he looks at the intention. And if you don't deal with the motive and the intention, then you will act on it. You will allow it to grow. And once sin has grown, it comes to the place where it gives birth. See, if you meditate on it and you keep it in there and you let it sit and you let it fester, what happens is it eventually comes out into the natural. It begins to operate through your body and you'll enter into doing what's on the inside growing. And you have to make a decision that I'm not letting this stuff grow on the inside of me any longer. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus speaking. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say to anyone, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her 
in the heart. Out of the heart. This is what defiles you, is when you allow your patterns of thinking to go off course. And family, if we do not know the Word of God, I have hidden God's Word in my heart so that I would not sin against God. And if we don't stand firm and understand that that sinful nature, its only motive and its only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. If you realize that that sinful nature is your enemy, that that sinful nature wants to operate through your body to do the will of the devil, to bring destruction to your life. Sleeping around is fun for a while until you get a sexually transmitted disease or have a baby with a guy you don't want to be married to. Drugs is fine. Alcohol is fine until you have a car accident and take somebody's life. There is a price to pay for living the sinful life. And the book of Romans says that the wages of sin is death. That means you earned it. Your wages are something you earn. It's not just the devil attacking me. No, you earned what was coming to you, destruction. All right, let's give you some hope. Like, God, I'm going to hell. Jesus, I'm, what is wrong with this guy, man? I thought I came to church to be encouraged. I just feel like I went to hell and died right now, right there. Burn me now, Jesus. No, we need to go and expose how this thing works so that you can see on the inside of you, oh, okay, I see that now. Now that you can see it and know it's the enemy trying to destroy you through that, now you can say, I'm picking a fight with that thing. That is deception. That is a lie. It offers temporary pleasure, but it causes great harm. And that will not live in me any longer. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, I believe, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So the minute that a thought pops up in there, you need to go Jackie Chan on it. You need to do Kung Fu Panda. You need to bring out every jiu-jitsu move that you know, and you're going to take the enemy down. Can I get an amen? You say, how do you do jiu-jitsu in the spirit? You use your tongue. It's a double-edged sword. When the enemy spoke to Jesus, Jesus said, it is written you got to speak to that thing and use the Word of God to take it down. Can I get an amen? The Word of God in your mouth is a two-edged sword, and that's how you overcome the enemy. Count to ten in your head. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. What happened to your counting? It stopped. Why? Because your words have power over your thoughts. And if you stay silent, your thoughts will rule. And so you have to open your mouth and you have to speak to your thoughts. You have to speak contrary to what's trying to take root in you. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's how you clear it out before it has any chance of taking root and producing something that you don't need it to produce. Can I get an amen? Amen. Is this helping anyone? Go to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13. Under the old system... 
So this is the old covenant. There's the old covenant and a new covenant. Say we're under the new covenant. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. So what is so powerful about the blood of Jesus is that the blood of Jesus, if you will bring it to the Lord, the blood of Jesus has the power to wash and cleanse your conscience. You see, what happens is when you sin against God, you are aware of your sin. Right? Like, for instance, if a child breaks something in the house, they know mom's coming home later. And so for the next five hours, they're in terror and fear to face mom. And then when mom gets to the house, they even hide it from mom because they don't want mom to find out because they don't want to get into trouble. Well, it's exactly the same way that we are with God. The minute that we sin, we know we've sinned. Sin is a separator. It separates you from God. And until you go to God and say, God, I am sorry... Please forgive me, 1 John 1 verse 9. If you confess your sin to the Lord, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. In that moment, God washes and cleanses. The guilt comes off. The fear comes off. And God hugs you and says, come into my presence. Are you with me? So sin wants to keep you out of the presence of God so that you're alone and you have this thing on your shoulder that tears you down. Say the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses my conscience so when I close my eyes and lift my hands I can boldly come into the presence of God it's what the blood does see God knows what sin does to us and God loves us enough that he wants us in his presence because that's the place where we are transformed and we're changed and so God made a way for us to come into his presence can you say thank you Jesus Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By His death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so that's why we have communion. That's why that's one of the ordinances in the church. You have baptism, to be baptized into Christ. But then God told us, or Jesus told us, that we need to take the, the cup and we need to take the cracker and we need to remember what Jesus did for us. And when you come before the Lord, you come before Him and you judge your own heart. And you say, God, is there any place that I have sinned against you? Is there any place that I have sinned against a brother or a sister? The Bible says if you know that you've sinned against your brother or your sister, you leave your gift at the altar and you go make right with your brother and sister before you come and offer your gift to God. Some of you want to know why your gifts, your offerings don't do anything for you. It's because you have judgment in your heart against brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you have judgment in your heart against spiritual leadership, forget about it. The enemy wants you mad at me. Absolutely. But when you get to the place where you judge me for your problems, you're in a good spot. Say, so how is that? 
Oh, because death is coming to that thing very soon. People think it's the minister that's, that's my problem. That's what they said to Moses. You brought us out here into the wilderness to die. It was better back in Egypt. No, I'm trying to lead you into the promised land and get rid of the junk in your heart. But you're not ready to get rid of the junk in your heart. You'd rather go live in sin than go live in the blessing of the Lord. And then you're blaming me? Let the Lord judge. And so when you get to the point where you're irritated with me, you're in a good place. Because something's about to pop. Why is he talking about this stuff? He's irritating me right now. I don't want to hear this. But I can't leave right now because then people around are going to get up and know it was me that I felt like thing. And I'll look embarrassed. I'll look stupid. And then they'll all know. I've got to go to the toilet right now, but I'm not moving. I ain't moving right now. I'm going to hold it. If I pee a little in my pants, it'll be fine. But I ain't moving right now. Mark chapter 5, verse 24, and we're done. I didn't think I had that much to say today, but... You say, well, why are you being so heavy? Why are you being so hard? Because the Lord showed me in that vision a couple of weeks ago that there was a border. There was a boundary that has to be set up in your life, and you cannot cross the boundary. You have to stay within the boundaries. But if we don't clearly define the boundaries, how are you going to know if you're crossing over or not? Look at the person next. You say, we're setting boundaries. And we're going to choose to live within the boundaries. Amen. But if we don't clarify what the boundaries are, then you think, well, traditionally, you know, you can just sleep around. That's fine. That's how we did it. I don't, I don't have to be married. We can shack up. Are you with me? And so we have to set the boundaries. Are you judging me? No. We're setting the standard according to God's word. Do you want to live in the blessing? Then we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to live by the teachings of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. You go read it. It's right in your Bible. I don't like that guy. Good. Hate me now. Love me later. I feel it. I feel it right now. I feel it. I'm going to keep hitting that thing. I'm going to keep hitting it until it pops. Because I need to get you set free from that sin that has you bound. That sin that keeps you going around the mountain again and again and again. The thing that keeps defeating you. The thing that keeps you in the pit. The thing that keeps you depressed and heavy and burdened and, and feeling like you want to give up and quit on life. That God can't help me. Every time you go around that mountain again, there's another layer of doubt and unbelief that hits your life saying, God can't bring me out of this pit. And the devil wants to strangle every hope that you have of God being your Savior, your Deliverer, and setting you free. He wants to strangle every hope out of you that you'll never make it, that you'll never come out. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care what thing the devil has on you, what has come through your family line, what you have struggled with your whole life. I don't care how long the enemy's been tormenting you. There is a God who is seated on a throne in heaven, and He has a Son whose name is Jesus Christ at His right hand with all authority and all power. The devil has been judged and he's defeated. He is disarmed and you have authority. And you are not going to bow to sin any longer to let this body be used as an instrument of evil. This is a holy temple that will be used only for the glory of God. And we are drawing a line in the sand and we're saying we will not cross that line. And devil, if you attempt... To put any thought in my mind that is unholy, the fire of God is coming on that thing. 
Can I get an amen? Are you with me? Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years, say 12 years, with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she only got worse. And she had heard about Jesus. And the person next to you say, all you got to do is hear about him. She heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd. And she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, or the King James says, for she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately... The bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then a frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to his feet in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Look at the person next to you and tell him all you have to do is press in to touch the robe of Jesus. To touch the hem of his robe. And immediately and suddenly and instantly you will be set free from years of affliction. So how do you do that? I was praying this week. I do a lot of that. When I say praying, I talk to Jesus. And I was asking the Lord. I said, Lord, your word says that the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, will quicken my physical body. Right? Because I've had this nasal thing for two weeks that's been irritating me. And I said to the Lord, Lord, why is it that I can't, get, I, I can't tap into the power that quickens my physical body to bring immediate healing to me? What am I missing? What is the piece that's missing where I can see the release of the power of God to heal, to restore, to move cancer, to, to fix new organs, new, new everything? Because God has the power to restore and heal you instantly. Just one touch. That woman, one touch. Power left Jesus, touched her, and immediately, 12 years of affliction was immediately restored. Immediately. That means whatever was bleeding on the inside of her got healed. And the bleeding stopped. And who knows what the doctors did to her. The Bible says she got even worse. So it doesn't matter how bad it was or how worse it got. In one instant, Jesus can turn all of that around. But what does it take? It takes touching the hem of his robe. What does that look like? Number one, you've got to hear that Jesus is a healer, that Jesus is a savior, that Jesus is a deliverer, that he's able to set the captive free, that he's able to mend the broken heart, that he's able to deliver you from addiction and bondage. 
that is able to bless you and turn every hard circumstance around. You have to hear that God is able. Then you put your hope in Jesus and you begin to meditate on it. Lord, I believe it. I believe what what they said. If you did it for them, God, then you're not a respecter of persons. You're going to do it for me. What are you doing? You are now building your faith up. You're starting to believe that God is able. And you're starting to encourage yourself in the Lord. I know, God, I've been struggling with this since I was 9, since I was 16, since I was 21, God. I've been struggling with this thing my whole life. My dad had it. My mom had it. My uncle had it. My grandfather had it. And I got it too, God, but this is not your perfect will for me. I know you got better for me because your promises are true, God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm belongs to me. What are you doing? You're encouraging yourself. You're building yourself up in the Lord. You're reading stories in the Bible where God healed this one and saved that one and delivered that one and turned that family around. You're reading stories about people who didn't have the Holy Ghost and got the Holy Ghost. People who were murdering the church and God encountered them and turned them around. And you're saying if God can do that for those people, then surely there got to be some hope for me. Oh, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some people told me that miracles were done with when the lost apostle died, but that's not what the Bible says. So if Jesus did miracles back then and he's doing miracles today, then he's still a miracle worker. He's still a way maker. Oh, isn't there a song, Waymaker? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. My God. So now you're playing worship on the stuff, saying, yeah, he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. Yeah, I believe. I believe. And what do you start doing? In your mind, you have these doubts. You have these thoughts that are telling you, you can't come by here. You're blocked. That's what the religious people were doing with Jesus. They couldn't, she couldn't get to Jesus. She got on her hands and knees and crawled through the feet to touch the hem of his robe. And you've got to make a decision. I'm going to press through every opposition in my mind that tells me that I cannot touch heaven. The Bible says, come boldly into the presence of God before the throne room of grace to receive mercy in your time of need. So God, through the blood, not my own works, I'm coming into your presence. I'm going to touch your presence. And in in an instant, just like you set that woman free, you're going to set me free. From this thing that has had me bound and is holding me down. Because I serve the King of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies, invincible in battle, none greater than Him, none more powerful than Him, and my God will save me. That's how you got to press in. Then you got to start praying according to the Word. You just got to start declaring, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Huh? Hebre, Sanan, then you go into tongues. Romandosa, Babande, Ramase, Katarama, because you ran out of English language. Then you start worshiping in the spirit. And then suddenly, suddenly, the presence. You come to the altar, say, Pastor, pray for me. I've got to bring this thing to the cross. We bring the blood, we bring the word, and we bring destruction on that thing. The thing that took you captive, that kept you out of the presence, that'll never take me over again. Because the enemy wants to capture your heart so that there's no hope for you. And you guys have to rip that off. You have to say, I'm, this is not part of me, this is not who I am, this is what the enemy is sliming me with, and I don't want it on my life anymore. 
I'm ready to rip off the old sinful nature, the old thing that's former, the flesh, the corruption. And I want to put on my new nature in Christ. And when you make a decision that I'm going to press through everything and I'm going to touch him. Oh, that's when you're ready to fight by the Spirit. Can I get an amen? Because when you touch him, your life will never be the same again. And the final scripture, and you can stand while I'm saying it. Hebrews 11.6. It's a faith scripture. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you whole. And Jesus said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then what does it say? Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who sincerely seek him. And so you've got to go after God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You've got to get it in your mind that I'm not going to quit. I'm going to go lock my door. I'm going to press in until I touch heaven. And I know if I can just touch heaven, I will be free. I'm not your savior. I'm not your healer. I'm not your deliverer. Jesus is. And he is your high priest. And he wants to meet with you. He wants to minister to you. And so when you come, you come to him. With all your faith in him. With all your trust in him. Believing in who he is. And I'll tell you what. If you need wisdom, you run to the same place. Believe in God for wisdom. You need direction for your life, you run to the same place and ask God for direction. Whatever it is you're struggling with, you run into the presence because that's the place where you can get counsel from heaven. That's where you hear from God. And if you will allow His Spirit to teach you, to lead you, to guide you, He will lead you down the right path and He will lead you into victory. Can I get an amen? Amen. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Father. we thank you for the finished work of the cross. What you did at the cross, Lord Jesus. It was finished. It was finalized. Judgment was brought on the enemy. You took the keys to death and the grave. And you delivered us from darkness, from the curse of the law, from sin and death. And you have brought us under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And we are victorious. We're at the right hand of God the Father. And we have won every battle in Christ Jesus. And I tell you what, when you walk, when you leave Egypt at that place that you've been bound, and you begin to walk to the promised land, the presence, you do, you do whatever you need to do to walk towards Jesus. And I tell you, man, along the way, He will strip things off you. It doesn't happen instantly, but there comes a day where you cross the Jordan and everything of your old life is in the past and all you know is what He has for you in the future. There's no longer living your life looking in the rearview mirror. The only thing you see is what God's goodness and what He has for your life. Can I get an amen? You opened up my eyes.